are, Michael. Check. Hello. <laughs> Hello, world. Here we are. Here we are. Anthony Smith, welcome. Welcome to this week in Freightonomics. What is Freightonomics? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> we keep showing up yeah, we every Wednesday this. at 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Is that right? Yeah. 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Yes. Where we combine freight and economics. A wonderful pairing. It is a great pairing. A lot of people really don't appreciate it as much as I think that we do, Anthony. Oh, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. But <laughs> we're making it a thing, and it's becoming a thing. And thank you so much for tuning in and helping us make it a thing. We are now streaming live. Streaming uh, live this week. so right now on, uh, I believe, LinkedIn and probably Facebook. I think Facebook. I have Facebook pulled up, YouTube, but my, mostly monitoring LinkedIn right now. So if you want to jump in on this conversation... Say hello, drop by, join in on the conversation. I am monitoring the activity, the comments right now. So there you go. Reach out, say hello. So we got a big show today and 30 minutes to do it. We got 30 minutes? 30 minutes Come to do on. it. Come on. 30 minutes to do it this week, Anthony. Who did that to us? Uh, we got a lot to cover today because in this new world order that we have established with the coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, uh, things are constantly changing and we are trying to cover as much as we can uh, with as much detail as possible to make sure that we have an informed audience and we can, you know, continue to press through uh, what has been, you know, one of the more challenging <laughs> uh, periods of our of human history, probably. I mean, I'm not going to compare this to... Modern human history? Yeah, modern human history. Not <laughs> modern in history. In the last hundred years-ish. Yeah, maybe Maybe 50 years. <laughs> I'll take it. I don't know. I can't comment. I can't really comment on anything before the last 40 years. So I don't remember anything from f four years ago. So yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Concussions. Yeah. <laughs> I've had none yeah. that you know of. So, you know, today we're going to cover, uh, you know, the freight market recovery, the volumes that we're seeing in our outbound tender volume index. We haven't really seen capacity return uh, or not. I shouldn't say we haven't seen capacity tighten in response to these volumes just yet. Um, you know, we've had a big uh, outage or a big failure in the market uh, yeah. here in the last week of Comcar. Uh, that'll be our story of the week. But we also have had um, some interesting commentary and observations here over the last little bit about, you know, what are we going to see moving forward? I mean, the, the coronavirus, the COVID-19 thing has obviously an impact into today's world, but we, you know, we're seeing behavioral changes. We're seeing structural changes to supply chains. You know, we had Zach Rogers on last week uh, who did a fantastic job of helping us break down what we're seeing in some of that warehousing uh, and the logistics managers index. Um, you know, what, what are we going to see though in the next six to nine months uh, that is resulting from what's happening today. And, and that's basically the title of today's show is our actions today affect our life tomorrow. And do you know, Anthony, what that, are, what that is a reference to? What is that a reference to? So, uh, you know, one of, you know, my best friends growing up, Ryan Ragsdale. We used going to say Craig Fuller. No, well, he was there too. <laughs> and he got, he got to hear this speech too. His mom uh, basically was like a surrogate mother to us okay. for a period of time. And she would always give us this little uh, talking at the, you know, almost every day. But one of her favorite sayings was your actions today affect your life tomorrow. Basically saying, don't screw up today because mm. that'll, that'll mess you up in the future. Yeah. And so today, uh, today's title of the show is a little homage to Babs Ragsdale. Sounds like some frontal lobe development going on there. I mean, you would think I'd have learned by now, but 
<laughs> you know, anyway, so a lot of what's going on today is going to impact the freight market here in the next several months. And, you know, one of those things, Anthony Smith, is the fact that Comcar uh, just filed for Chapter 11 uh, bankruptcy. Uh, they've already sold off a portion of their um, stuff, their business units to private equity groups. Um, what does this mean? Is this, you know, a lot of people are going to say, oh, look, freight market starting to kind of absolve itself of some of these weaker performing uh, carriers. That's going to mean capacity is going to, you know, decrease, increasing rates. Not so fast. Uh, you know, Comcar, of course, was a 4,000-ish truck business unit, but it was four different business units combined into one, and it wasn't all dry van, which is the market that most of us look at, uh, this dry van reefer market in the four higher carrier market. That's the majority of what you see moving over the road. A lot of the freight market is dependent on the dry van volumes, the spot market rates that you look and read about. A lot of that is dry, dry van, reefer, uh, of course, flatbed as well is in there. But uh, they had four main business units. One of those was a dry van reefer component, uh, about 1,000 trucks in that one, I believe. Then there was a bulk intermodal uh, carrier. Then there was a tanker carrier unit. Um, and then there's one more in there, and I can't remember exactly what that was off the top of my head at the moment. Did you already but say it, flatbed? I'm sorry? Did you already say flatbed? Oh, it was the flatbed. There one. we go. It was the flatbed unit. Thank you, Anthony Smith, coming in. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. On the pickup. Uh, so it's not going to mean a, you know, automatically, you know, these thousand trucks that are leaving the market, spot rates are going to go up, et cetera. No, these, these guys actually got bought off by another private equity, uh, several other private equity, uh, you know, companies out there and they were already actually owned by a private equity company. And yeah. this, you know, it's kind of like this revolving door. Like, did they really go bankrupt? Did they really go out of business? Not really. They just a changing of hands. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're really just a changing of hands. So whenever I read some of something about a private equity group, uh, you know, that owns trucking or transportation, I'm automatically thinking, all right, this is not necessarily uh, this trucking company isn't going away. It's just going away in its current form and capacity is going to remain, you know, these, these trucks are going to remain in the market and the capacity is not going to diminish. Um, and again, private equity, not necessarily the most successful track record, mm. uh, in managing trucking companies, especially the asset based ones, because they just don't have the cash flow, uh, to support a lot of what, uh, the private equity companies really ask for in a lot of their business units. They like to look, you know, they, they like to return on a three to five year basis. They like a three to five year return. Yeah, but again, they like times. to over lever these companies when you add this additional burden of debt uh, into their comp into their, you know, their structure. It just really doesn't. It's, it's a tough it's a tough, tough uh, operation right. when you're already operating it, you know, in tough times at two, three percent operating ratios. And then you're going to throw in some debt on top of that. Yeah. There's just not enough cash to, to really pull them through. So anytime where you see. Uh, fluctuations in market volumes, especially to the downside, uh, these companies do tend to kind of roll over and get exposed. Yeah. And I think just a few shows ago, maybe, uh, I don't want to get this wrong, maybe four shows ago, mm -hmm. um, I think we were talking about initially what um, were some of the things to do. No, I think just initially when the coronavirus really started to ramp up, we we're giving some insights, some nuggets as how to approach um, this this environment. And I think one of the things that we went over was this is going to be a time where pessimism is going to be really rampant. Um, of course, we're going to see catalysts. We're going to see shutdowns. We also said that this is likely going to be a time where we can make strategic acquisitions. And so 
there's probably going to be some strategic strategic acquisitions here. Um, and, strategery. And st- strategery. Um, and, and really kind of being able to uh, acquire market share. And so when you're able to really position yourself in your company like that, I think when we see these kind of shakeups, it's a really, a, a, like you said, a changing of hands. Companies looking to really position themselves in hopes of um, some type of ramp up and really being able to take advantage of growth on the recovery side of things. That's a phenomenal point. Um, I think that's probably a lot of what's on some of these larger carriers' mind is how do I, you know, recapture some market share that I've lost? Who, how am I going to be ready to pounce uh, when things start opening back up as they appear to be opening back up? You know, looking at our outbound tender volume index, um, which is now over 10,000 for the first time since early April, uh, late March, when we were seeing volumes decline rapidly off their peak, um, do the panic buying situation. So uh, a lot of the, you know, if any of you that have been tuning in to FreightWaves.com or FreightWaves Live, we, you know, our event, FreightWaves Live at home, a few weeks ago, you saw me and Craig Fuller debate about whether or not the market was going to recover. Well, it looks like the market did recover to an extent, and at least to the extent that Craig thought it would. Um, that's about as far as I'm going to give him right now. Um, but, you know, I still have this unsettled sense that we may be seeing kind of the front end of a recovery that's going to look a little bit less even uh, than a lot of people anticipate. It's not simply going to be like, all right, now everything turns back on, volumes are here to stay, et cetera. And a lot of these volumes, too, are not evenly distributed. We're not talking about everything's turned back on. Automotive production supposedly just starting to ramp back up here this week. Um, so we're not seeing the auto side recover yet. The industrial side certainly has not recovered yet, right. um, as I believe you're going you're gonna to mention here in a little bit. But, you know, we're seeing a lot of, you know, uneven dispersion in terms of freight volumes in the, in the United States right now and, and throughout the freight market. So, you know, Anthony, I, I, I don't know how you feel about it. Mm. But looking at the data, I'm looking at the data. I see the OTVI go up over 10,000 in May, which is not necessarily that unusual I see, you know, tender rejection rates still on the floor, meaning spot market rates are still going to be, you know, very depressed, even though they might be bouncing a little bit. Uh, we're up over 3.65% right now, which is still lower than the lowest point in 2019. Um, and that was considered a very soft year, uh, you know, so to speak. But I'm just not seeing a reason to think that these are sustainable just yet. What about you? Yeah, there's a lot of things that are jumping out at me that shows that there might be some weakness and some instability, um, especially when we're looking at the consumer side of things. So we can chat about that a little bit later. But especially when we look at the consumer side of things, um, we see, of course, when we're looking at the unemployment, uh, jobless claims numbers are coming out every Thursday. The continuing jobless claims continue to climb. The moving average staying up there. Um, the most recent results for retail sales, of course, we do see some spikes up in e-commerce mm-hmm. and things like that. Not too surprising there, but this is not uh, sustainable. So one of the things that's going to run out here at the end of July um, is going to be those additional bonuses for um, the unemployment uh, benefits. And so I think there is an initial uh, additional three, uh, $600 on a weekly basis. That's not going to be there at the end of last month of July. Now, this could get extended into August and maybe in throughout the rest of 2020. We don't know. But right now, as it stands, it's through the end of July. And um, the fact stands is that folks are making more 
with these benefits than they were without them. So it's holding some people out of the workforce. Now, this can't isn't sustainable because as more states start to open back up, um, more folks start to kind of get weaned off. That's that's the that's the area that I'm a little bit suspicious about, and I think it's going to be a little bit hard. Is you, you put these benefits out, people are making this much money now. You try to peel that back. People aren't going to try to let get that go too easily. They're going to try to ride this out as long as possible, most likely. Mm-hmm. And so when you start to peel back those benefits, even if you have an open economy, you might not have people looking for to jump back in that workforce until you, you just strip them completely of that additional $600. And if you do, now maybe they're down to 185 or something like that on a weekly basis. That's a pretty big difference. Is that shopping? Is that consumer uh, purchasing still going to be as strong um, come right. September as we get into the holiday shopping season? Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the article I wrote this weekend uh, about the volumes, you know, recovering to a point, uh, I'm citing credit card data from Bank of America Merrill Lynch um, that our passport research team put together. Uh, I obviously was able to get a little bit of an inside scoop into what they were looking at there. And it does look like there has been a significant recovery on the retail end, especially as it pertains to electronics. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's that's that was kind of shocking to me. And again, but at the same time, I think it through it makes sense. People are sitting at home more often. They're inve- they, they're trying to surround themselves with entertainment. Oh, I'm looking at this TV that I haven't been using as much. Now I'm using it a lot more. Maybe yeah. I need a new computer, et cetera. All these things start to come into play that are, are now into focus for me that I haven't necessarily needed to focus on for a bit. So they're kind of re-upping their infrastructure. And, you know, I'm a little shocked that it happened so quickly. But to your point, about the economic stimulus, these some of these people are making six hundred dollars more a month than they were before, and you know that's undeniable. And I, I think the the government's kind of done a, a decent job here of at least in the near term of propping people up. Now, what that means for the future in terms of how these, uh, you know, like you said, some people are refusing to go back to work. They have a little bit of that short term vision um, in terms of what what that might mean. Uh, you know, I would caution anybody that's watching that is thinking, oh, I'm just going to sit on this for as long as it takes, knowing that, you know, the economy's not going to turn back on all of a sudden. It's yeah. not simply going to be everything's back to normal. Uh, you cannot count on that government stimulus to last in the long term. If somebody's offering you a job today, you are basically locking yourself in position for the future. If you exactly. wait till the end... That job may not be there. Uh, I think a lot of industries are expecting tremendous, you know, you're not going to have the employment levels that you had uh, in August when this is supposed to expire that you had in March. (laughs) So uh, I I haven't seen any real percentages on how many jobs they think are actually going to have been lost during this this period. But I'm assuming that it's not going to be 100%. No, absolutely not. Because as you mentioned, there are going to be some industries that are impacted and, and going to be impacted for years to come. Um, in a conversation uh, with our our amazing and insightful president, George Abernathy, <laughs> one of the things that came up in a, in a web call was uh, the talent pool for certain industries. So for example, I think he mentioned airlines, right? There's going to be a bunch mm-hmm. of pilots. These are trained pilots that are able to, they, they have a very particular, very useful skill set of flying a plane. And now with air travel at such lows, 
there's going to be an overhang of pilots that are no longer able to fly or demand to fly because the demand isn't there or required to fly. And so there's going to be this, this group of folks in certain industries that are qualified, great at their jobs, but are no longer needed because the demand isn't quite there just yet and it might not be there for years to come. Um, so, of course, there's going to be an overhang for that's just one example, but many industries. Now, one of the things that could happen from this is, of course, innovation, right? Things that always shake up. Um, maybe this will be the catalyst for uh, more, some kind of uh, uh, cost-efficient uh, Uber flight, private flight system for the everyday person to get a private jet or something like that. <laughs> something crazy, I don't know. <laughs> but maybe that would be like the catalyst or some kind of innovation where you have this glut of talent that needs to have a gig and they're not going to, you know, I don't think I'm going to see too many pilots that are saying, eh, I used to be a pilot, you know, for, for 10, 15 years and I just shifted industries to become a mechanical engineer. You know, that's, so it's going to be interesting to see what kind of innovations come from this um, because I'm certainly that, I'm certain that there's going to be some type of innovation, and that's just one example, but for different types of industries throughout the country, and as you mentioned, that demand isn't going to be there um, for, right. for many people. So if you can get back to work and it's in a safe uh, scenario, you're being able to social distance, um, maybe you're able to work remotely or, or what have you, that's a great sign for you to jump on that, even if you're not making as much as you would on unemployment, because uh, come... Uh, fall time when uh, people are kind of being weaned off these unemployment benefits if they're not extended, um, there, there's not going to be that, that demand for labor for many people. So there's going to be a mad dash for a lot of people, um, I think, come around the fall time. So those recruiters are probably chomping at the bit right now to really kind of get things moving along yeah. during the end of summer. So speaking of recruiters and recruitment, so one of the one of the interesting aspects of all this, uh, as it pertains to trucking, is the fact that there is actually a dramatic drop off in the hiring of new drivers, uh, or at least student drivers. A lot of the schools have been shut down due to being considered non-essential. Uh, Jim Gallagher actually wrote this article the other day, last week, uh, I should say, about um, you know drivers not being able to get into school, not being able to get uh, registered. So there's not necessarily the new entrance that we had before the COVID-19 outbreak. Now, it hasn't shown up necessarily yet because a lot of what's happened has happened at a time of decreasing volumes or volumes being depressed, uh, severely depressed. So they haven't necessarily had trouble sustaining capacity at this point. But this is one of those things that could down the road, especially as the economy starts to ramp back up, get back going, especially on the industrial production side, the automotive side. Uh, if you don't have new entrants into the into the job force, especially on the student entry side, that's going to have an impact to capacity here in the next several months. And it's a disruption. Yeah, it is, and it's and it's one of those things that we've got to keep an eye on. Especially, you're talking about twenty to thirty thousand jobs yeah. uh, that are just not there right now that may need may be needed to fill in the future. So, that's been you know one of the more interesting <laughs> developments out of this that I don't know if enough people are thinking about right now. Uh, you know, a lot of the production of new talent, new hires, etc. It's not happening right now because it's non-essential. Right, and. That's that's a little bit concerning here for the future of, you know, how this is going to materialize, especially once people come back to work. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, is that uh, 
if you're looking at uh, individuals that are, you know, applying for, you know, these uh, driver schools, um, mm-hmm. these are probably younger individuals entering the workforce for the first time. Um, if they're not able to do this, there's this thing called substitutes, which they'll enter another industry. And so these are folks that you're just losing all together. And so it, it, that really kind of drives home the the whole we're losing a lot a, a large talent pool here. I yeah. Mean, and, and combine that uh, with the fact that, you know, spot rates are at historic lows. Yeah. One of the things that we studied here at Freightways was the fact that there was a strong correlation or connection between spot market rates going up or down and class eight truck orders uh, with spot markets being way down. Uh, you know, obviously we're not going to see as many new truck orders uh, as carriers aren't making enough money to pay for these. They're not trying to expand their fleets. Maybe some of them are at this point, And that might be a smart play uh, considering you might get a discount. Uh, and be ready to jump on things here in the future. Right. Again, it's normally kind of like, when's the timing just right for you? You don't want to overextend yourself, overextend your, overlever yourself, uh, devaluing your proposition, uh, you know, and your sustainability through this. But at the same time, the first people that are ready to pounce on all these volumes and pounce on all this stuff, when and if they come back, right. uh, they're going to be able to attain that market share that you were talking about earlier. So spot market rates super low right now that's going to keep a lot of these people from considering trucking uh you're going to keep these new entrants out you know something that fueled that 2019 softness was the 2018 uh expansion on the spot market rates and leading to higher profit margins etc a lot of drivers said i don't need to work for the larger carrier they went to the smaller carrier because there's enough freight to go around a lot of that volume dried up in 2019 not a lot of not all of it but a lot of it dried up and then now, of course, we're seeing a pretty significant drop-off in volumes throughout the first uh, part, at least, of the second quarter. And, and one of the things in question is the fact, are these volumes actually sustainable and how fragmented are they? We're seeing, obviously, a lot of retail uh, and home improvement and, you know, discount retail, et cetera, moving, essential goods moving through the, the freight market right now. Uh, and that's, that's really not an even distribution of freight in the United States. It's right. not 100% of the market. So, uh, you know, there was a conference just recently, Wolf Research mm-hmm. uh, held a conference, and it had, uh, you know, Eric Fuller, the CEO of U.S. Express, he was talking about this exact thing. They actually talked about how they had one of the best revenue weeks of the year just a couple of weeks ago. Um, really? Again, citing the fact that they were exposed to, you know, home improvement, discount retail, uh, things like that that were keeping them go. They didn't. Ha- they don't have a lot of automotive exposure or industrial production side stuff. Consumer products, obviously, a big part of their uh, their freight movements. But you know, they were basically. He was basically saying, "We're doing all right." And there's probably carriers out there that, again, depending on their portfolio of business, are having a pretty decent month of it right now. But then there's going to be those carriers out there that are having a terrible month of it. Yeah. Uh, something that I've noticed here the last little bit is our flatbed outbound tender rejection index. And that is pretty crucial in measuring what that industrial production number is doing. Yeah. And it has started to slowly creep back up yeah. uh, here in the last couple of weeks, along with refrigerated tender rejections and van rejections have, again, started their initial ascent uh, how much of that is related to Memorial Day? I'm not really sure. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but I assume some of that is. But again, if you're a carrier and you get the opportunity to get freight here over the next little bit, 
you got to be thinking, I, I'm going to cover that up. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take advantage of it now. I yeah. mean, <laughs> uh, especially it's, it's kind of similar to what was happening in March, taking advantage of that that ramp up and all that activity that was happening. Um, one of the things that you you mentioned when you were talking about volumes was uh, first blood and capturing the market share um, mm-hmm. and, and being able to act now while you can. Um, that that kind of reminds me of what's happening right now throughout the economy. Different states, different states start to open back up. Uh, we start to see businesses coming back online, mm-hmm. um, particularly retail, uh, restaurants. Those businesses are, some would say it's risky, you know, opening back up depending on, you know, what, what area you're in, the kind of measures that you have in place, but potentially first blood. They're able to capture market share um, from the competitors who are maybe a little, bit, a little bit more hazardous and not opening up just yet. Mm-hmm. They're able to capture market share right now. And so uh, one of the things that we saw most recently last week was retail sales results, which showed an, a negative 16.4% uh, decline. Brutal. In April. Yeah, absolutely brutal. <laughs> and um, this was uh, uh, the first full month of data capturing the full context, uh, full extent of COVID-19. Um, so it, it really shows what a full month of data would do under these lockdown uh, conditions. But as states are starting to come back online, as mentioned, uh, activity starting to kind of ramp back up. Many expect, I expect at least, uh, for this to be the trough for many industries throughout the economy um, as we're starting to see an opening back up of businesses. Um, Of course, this is uh, barring any kind of second resurgence or anything like that that would kind of take things offline again. But it's really looking like we're through the thick of it. We're looking at macroeconomic releases. There's going to be some type of recovery. And I think the debate now is how are industries going to change? Um, because it's not, it's very varied. So, for example, when we're looking at uh, retail sales for furniture and home furnishing stores, that dropped uh, 58.7%, um, while clothing and accessories dropped 78.8%. Um, so, these declines I think were expected, but it's not uh, all across the board even. So, we're looking at uh, uh, e-commerce, which captures, uh, or non-store retails, which captures e-commerce, um, it increased 8.4% month to month and up 21.6% year over year. So it's not going to be even across the board when we look that's, at the recovery. That's, that's the point of any, I think anything that we're saying is that yeah. this is going to be a very disparate, you're going to see positive numbers pl- places and you're going to see negative numbers other places. Uh, right. You know, I mentioned uh, U.S. Express at that Wolf Research said that they had one of their best revenue weeks exactly. <laughs> of the year. Uh, right behind that, CRST stated they've been parking trucks. Right. So depending on who, what you're hauling, who you're, you know, we said this at the very beginning of this outbreak. Yeah. You need to be focused on diversifying, diversifying. your customers, yeah. diversifying your commodities. And right. that's that's really the key to this. A lot of what's going on right now in the supply chain world is this, you know, they're trying to adapt. They're yeah. trying to, you know, diversify and take out the risk of what's going on. Uh, you know, especially as you look overseas in China, et cetera, we're swatching imports, have a huge spike at the end of April. They've come all the way back down uh, to where they were uh, prior to that spike. And now we're sitting roughly uh, about on par with what you would expect this time of year. Uh, but the fact that we are seeing such divergence <laughs> Uh, from seasonal uh, trends is is, is going to be tough to manage moving forward Yeah, for a lot of these agree. carriers. And a lot of what we're going to see uh, manifest itself in Q3, Q4 is going to be the results of what 
people are able to do during this pandemic. You know, the trough that we, I think most people can agree, occurred in April. Yeah. Uh, we're recovering out of that trough right now. Is this going to be 100% back to normal? Absolutely not. Right. Uh, are we going to see 100% back to normal by the end of June? Probably not. Right. Uh, it's going to be months. This is going to be a very long-term recovery process in, ter- in the scale that it's going to last probably throughout the year. New York, one of the biggest outbreak spots. Chicago, one Yikes. of the biggest outbreak spots in the country. Both have a huge impact on our economy and freight movements because they have a lot of consumers in it. Right. So, again, uh, some of these states opening up, may it's a good sign that we're kind of starting to at least trying to get back to normal. But until we're talking about everybody all over the place opening up, especially in these major metro areas, which were the epicenters for these large outbreaks, I, I don't think that we can really count on a full sustainable recovery back to where we were before until that happens. Agreed. So, Agreed. Anthony, we only have a little bit left. Oh, boy. So we've got a debate. And oh, this is brought to you by the lovely intern, Emila. Oh, okay. Shout out to Emila. Shout out to Emila. So... Marvel versus DC. Don't do that to me. Marvel versus DC. Don't do Are that you to a Marvel me. guy or a DC guy? I appreciate both. I mean, when it comes to the movies, of course, Marvel's going to win. But when you, if you're an adult, you're going to appreciate DC a little bit more. I mean, eh. I mean, I disagree entirely. What the what Marvel what the Marvel universe has brought to us uh, here in recent years has dominated DC. Look at the movies. Yeah, the movies. It's clear cut that Marvel wins. It's not even close. Just for the movies. (laughs) But if you're an adult, the Batman, oh my goodness. Batman's the only thing that 